Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of Leadership Leaning, where we're leaning into the subject of leadership. One of my favorite sayings, when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. Shout out to Craig Rochelle, the first person I ever heard say that. Believe that with all my heart. Hey, thanks everybody for leaving a comment, sharing, posting about it. It means the world to myself and our team that you would take time to not only listen, but to share. And I see that all the time. And that is not a small deal to myself. So I just want to say personally, thank you. Uh, for not only subscribing, but for sharing and getting the message out. This is a podcast really uh, dedicated to trying to improve, trying to get better. And I think you are going to love today's episode I have with me. Now, I just told my wife before we got to the recording time, I said, I have a guru with me today. I have a leadership expert. This guy is um, leader of leaders being used around the world, incredible author, incredible speaker. And what I love about him is he's an inspiring person. I always look, you know, for inspirational people, people that I can uh, look at that are further down the road and go, I'm trying to get to where they are. I'm trying to be like them. I have one of those guests today. Please put your hands together. Like Chad, no one's putting their hands together. Please welcome. It is an honor to have him. John Gordon is in the house. Chad, thanks so much. It's an honor to be with you. Really appreciate it. John, first of all, we're not in person. It is in the middle of the quarantine. And I just want to congratulate you on having an awesome voice. Your voice is like one of those voices that's like, it's got, it's weathered. It's, got, it's, been, it's talked a lot. You got a great radio, video voice. That's funny because I really don't like my voice. I feel like it's too scratchy and no. it's, got, it's got that New York nasalness to it. You know, I don't even know if that's a word. It's so perfect. I appreciate it. People say they listen to my audiobooks all the time. I'm like, really? I feel bad for you. No, I listen to your audiobooks. I do. I love your voice. I think you got a fantastic. I always want when I listen to somebody that I can sense this thing's been used. There's a lot <laughs> of mileage on that voice. That's called age. <laughs> Hey, man, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. It really is an honor to have you. How, how are you holding up? How are you doing in the midst of everything going on? We're doing all right. We're just staying positive. We are believing. In the beginning, it was tough. I'm going to be honest. You know, I want to be honest and say I wasn't dealing with it well initially, even though I speak about positive leadership. I'm not naturally a positive person. People think I am. I'm actually a pessimistic optimist. So I get down at first, but then I find this eternal hope, this faith and belief. And on my own, I'm fearful, but with God, I'm faithful. And wow. so initially I was worried I was losing all the speaking that I was supposed to do, all these engagements. Probably lost about a million dollars this year in speaking in terms of all the companies and organizations I work with. And at the same time, I'm paying my team still, paying my staff, taking care of them, supporting my wife, my family, and what we have. So it's a, it's a tough time, but at the same time, I'm growing so much during this time. I'm learning during this time. And I'm recognizing that my, my faith is real. People ask me, what are you learning during this time? One, 
that my faith is real, that I truly believe this, that I am living this mission. John Maxwell, the other day, he and I did this event together, and he said, a crisis will reveal who you are, what you value, and what you believe. And so I know that I believe that the best is yet to come. I value people, relationships, and doing this work. And ultimately, I, I know that I, I value this message and this mission. So even though I'm not speaking on stages, I'm doing so many Zooms and speaking to teams still like UCLA, Ole Miss football, the Minnesota Timberwolves, a bunch of different companies. I'm speaking to a bunch of doctor groups and nurses to, to, to speak into their lives right now. These are hospital clients of mine. Reached out to them, hey, how can I help you right now? Can I give a 30-minute free webinar for your people right now? Because wow. you're all going through a lot. And in that way, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that, again, it's real. And I'm, I'm here to do this work. And I don't want to pat on the back, but you don't know what you're going to be like in the cri- until the crisis hits. And maybe when it first started, I was in survival mode. How are we going to get through this? But then I moved out of that very quickly. And now it's about serving others. And I, I, I feel great about what I'm doing. I have no fear. I'm not worried at all. I truly believe that God is going to use this for good in so many ways. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I do feel like, you know, uh, one of the things about the quarantine it, it, for Julie and I is that every week we got to make a plan. What's the theme? You know, week one, I think was the hardest for my wife. It was, you know, I, I remember reading, you put out like a tweet, like you were headed somewhere like on a plane when you found out and you had to come home, you know, like it was so sudden for all of us. I was headed to Sweden. I was in Birmingham. Uh, I preached there on a Wednesday night. I was supposed to leave on Thursday to go to Sweden and we had to come back home to LA. It was like on a dime. I, I can't even imagine for someone like yourself, how much speaking was lined up, how much travel was lined up and you get stuck at home. And it was you know, that first week was like, you know, your bell got rung a little bit. Then after that, it's like, you got to create themes and be intentional and deliberate. And the feeling like I can't control so much. What can I control? I can control my attitude. I can control my thinking. I can control my, my schedule, you know, uh, organizing my time. I had to really, we had to really, as a family pivot to go, we lost so much control. What can we control? Talk to me about leaders that overcome difficult situations. What have you seen? What is the common thread that you've noticed out of this time in you, but also you notice in great leaders when we face adversity, when our back is up against the wall and we're, you know, hard pressed, what do great leaders do in that time? First thing they do is they communicate. You must communicate to your team. Even if it's not good news, you communicate because communication builds trust. Trust generates commitment. Commitment fosters teamwork and teamwork delivers results. It all starts with great communication. Remember this, where there's a void in communication, negativity will fill it. So communicate the facts, communicate the plan, communicate the challenges, communicate the truth. We have to accept the brutal facts as Stockdale says in the Stockdale paradox, right? You have to accept the brutal facts, confront them. Don't sugarcoat it. This is not about Pollyanna positive. This is not about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. This is knowing you have the power to overcome the thorns. So we see the problems, we see the challenges, we communicate them, but we talk about then a plan, a way forward. So as a leader, you're not just communicating, now you're talking about a plan. Everyone needs to know the plan, embrace the plan, 
and relentlessly work towards the plan. Alan Mullally, former CEO of Ford, came in in 2006. They were losing $14 billion. He told me he turned him around in a few short years, one of the greatest leadership feats in history, by the way, in history. He also turned around Boeing. He told me everyone had to know the plan. They had to embrace it and then work towards it. He said, John, positive leaders find a way forward. Mm. But it's that plan that leads to focused action. So clarity leads to focused action. So as a leader, you need to create clarity for everyone. And that's what I'd like to see more of in this country. I'd like to see more clarity. This is our plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to execute it. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. And when there's uncertainty, there's more and more fear. We need more certainty. We need a plan. And we need a strategy on how we're going to actually implement it. So, so great leaders talk about the plan. They embrace the plan. And they get everyone to rally towards the plan. They also lead with optimism and belief. What you believe ultimately determines what you will create. And so we got to lead with op that optimism. We got to lead with that faith and that belief. What are we becoming? Research from Duke University talks about optimists. They work harder, get paid more, and are more likely to succeed in business and sports. And what they found was that because these optimists believed in a brighter and better future, they took the actions necessary to create it. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so funny though, Chad, the researchers use the term diluted. They said they deluded themselves into believing it was possible. We might choose the term faith instead of delude, right? Right, right. right. You know, we just had faith, but they eluded themselves. And so often people of faith, we are accused of being delusional. But it's that faith, it's that belief where we then take actions every day to ultimately create it. And that's why being an optimist is so important. That's why as a positive leader, you find a way forward. You believe that the best is yet to come. So you take the actions to create the best outcome. Work with Dabo Sweeney for the past eight years now, Clemson football. Talk about a positive leader, six and seven in 2010, about to get fired, doesn't get fired, comes back and then has a run of success, including two national championships. The guy is so full of optimism and belief. He built his program on Galatians 6.9, let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. Mm. And now more than ever as a leader, we need to stay encouraged and we need to encourage others. Leadership is a transfer of belief. Ooh. We got to transfer this belief to others. and We have to believe in others more than they believe in themselves. So, so right now as a leader, I'm talking to my team. We're talking about the brutal facts. We're confronting them. We're talking about the situation, but we will find a way. Here's what we can control, as you said earlier. Here's what we can do, and here's how we will prevail in the future. So we're surviving. We're advancing like March Madness, survive and advance. Right. We are adapting. We're innovating, getting better, and then we're going to thrive on the other side of this. We're probably not going to thrive now as a team, as an organization. Our numbers and goals, we're not going to hit those right now. Most organizations, unless you're selling toilet paper, you're not going to do well. And so on the other side of this, though, we can thrive and here's how we're going to get there. And the optimism is talking about that. And then finally, as a positive leader through a crisis, you want to share the vision. You want to lead in vision, not circumstance. Great. And so our vision is always greater than our circumstances. And by the way, I wrote a book called The Power of Positive Leadership, as you know, but I measured against Jesus when I wrote this book as a believer. I wrote this book and I said, 
Is this how Jesus led? And every principle I put in there, I measured against Jesus as a leader. And it's very much how Jesus led, but as a secular book with secular language, but it's Jesus' principles for leadership. And he always led with vision, right? Always. He always called us to a brighter and better future. And as a leader, that's what you need to do right now. You need to share the vision. This is where we're going. Yes, we're here now, but this is where we're going. Yes, we're facing these challenges, but here is where we're going now. Because pessimists do not change the world. And neither will you if you allow your circumstances to define your attitude. Wow. Naysayers say you can't do it. Complainers complain about problems, but they don't solve them. We know critics write words. They don't write the future. Throughout history, it's always been the positive leaders, the believers, the dreamers, the doers who made the greatest impact. And I think now, more than ever, your team needs your leadership in that way to get through this crisis. I love that. Say that line again. Critics never wrote the future. Oh, yeah. They write words, but they don't write the future. That is the truth. That, you, great thought to keep in mind. Critics can't. It's only the positive. Throughout history, it's the, it's the leaders, those that grab a hold of the moment. And um, I, I want to kind of rewind the tape because you have such an incredible, unusual story of how you got here. I mean, talk about a guy that just had to cancel a million dollars worth of speaking and uh, writing books, helping, you know, from Ford to Clemson University. Uh, what's happening with your life is truly remarkable. But take me back to that life change. Take me back to the decision. Tell me a little bit about your story to encourage those leaders that are listening right now going, hey, I'm in this spot in this city, and I, I, I hear these cliche sayings the best yet to come. I don't even know what that looks like. I think your story is one of inspiration and one that people can go, wow, if, if God could do that for someone like John, maybe God could do something pretty pretty incredible and great with my life. I'm so glad you said it like that because it's amazing that I am where I am right now when I think about where I came from. You know, I think about my past. And so I know this is all God. It is amazing what God can do with your life. Because a number of years ago, my wife almost left me. I was so miserable. I was so negative. I lost my job during the dot-com crash. And during that time, it was much like this. For a lot of people, it was like that for me lost my job, the world just slowed down, didn't know how I was gonna pay the bills, only two months of savings in our, in our savings account. We had a restaurant that was opening that we second mortgaged our home on, a Moe's Southwest Grill burrito place. And we put $20,000 on credit cards, second mortgage our home. So this place is opening, I lose my job. Most terrifying time in your life. I mean, I don't even know how we're gonna pay the bills because it takes six months to a year for a restaurant to make money. We have no backup money in our restaurant account to get us through the first couple of weeks. So I was gonna keep this job while the restaurant opened and then I lost my job and then everything is now falling apart. And I am miserable and I am negative and I'm blaming my wife and she had had enough of my negativity. She said, if you don't change, I love you, but I'm not gonna spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. And it was a huge wake up call for me. I really did need to change. I didn't like who I had become. I was allowing the fear to cause me to crumble from the inside out. I see people right now and how they're feeling right now. I couldn't relate because that was me. I did not pass the test back then. I failed the test back then, but I learned from it. And that experience is where I found my faith. And that experience led me to where I am now, where I can be a light for others. So 
somehow, some way, I pray. I started praying, and next thing you know, somehow, some way, we're actually breaking even. First week, second week, third week, and then a friend called out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to teach this company about this wireless technology that I was selling when I was working for the dot com. I met with them. They agreed to pay me thirteen thousand dollars for six weeks of consulting out of the blue, like this money just came. I'm like, I don't know about the technology. They said, it's okay, just teach us how to sell it. So I taught them how to sell it. They paid me, that money carried us until we made our first profit. I mean, it was just crazy how, how that happened. I saw how God carried me and us in my life at that point. And I truly know that he carried us. There was a lot of faith in that moment, a lot of prayer in that moment. I still wasn't a believer yet, which is interesting. Still wasn't a believer yet, but yet I saw God's hand in my life and that would lead me to then give my life to, to Jesus and accept him as my savior. And that's where everything really changed after that. But, but that began this journey of losing the job. What am I born to do, God? Why am I here? I said that prayer and writing and speaking came to me. And so I'm okay, I'm going to start writing and speaking. I didn't know what about, but I knew I wanted to be more positive. So I started researching ways I could be more positive. This is during the emerging field of positive psychology. And then I started to grow doing that. I started taking these walks of gratitude. Every day I would take a walk where I would say what I'm thankful for. Because I read the research that you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So if you're feeling blessed, you won't be stressed. So every day I'm doing this thank you walk. Then that walk turns into a walk of prayer. Then I start practicing gratitude. I start praying. God, use me, God, for your purpose. Guide me towards my purpose, God. Use me. Make me a miracle. Uh, Sorry, a conduit for your miracles. Make me a conduit. Make me an instrument of your peace and your joy. Use me to make a difference in this world, God. And next thing you know, things just start happening. And every day I would just pray and walk and practice gratitude. And he started to change me from the inside out. And then the restaurant started making money. Next thing you know, we opened up two more. Then I sold those knowing I wanted to write and speak full-time. That was a, a God sign as well when he showed me it was time to sell them. And the writing and speaking was not going well. I was losing all the money that I had basically sold the restaurants for. And it was going fast because we were, we were living off it. And then one day I'm taking a walk and I'm praying. And the idea for the energy bus came to me on a walk. And I had this book. I wrote in three and a half weeks. Rejected by over 30 publishers at first. Wow. Finally becomes published by John Wally and Sons. I become a believer while I'm writing the book. I, didn't, I should mention that. I became a believer. I was baptized while I was writing it. Then comes out. My mom actually passed away right before it came out. Jeez. And I go on a 28-city tour, paid for myself. Publisher wouldn't even pay for it. And I go from city to city sharing the message in the book. Because no bookstores would carry the book. And so I went on a tour around the country just sharing the message. Five people in one city, 10 people in another. The, the most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. <laughs> it's a true story. They did. Like, hey, Jeff, got home, didn't know what the future held, but I knew that, that God had given me a vision to go do this. And here was the vision, and it still is to this day. Encourage and inspire as many people as, po- as, many people as possible, one person at a time. And I'm still focused on that vision, that mission right now. It's incredible. And, and so, I mean, I listen to your story, and I know there's a lot of, you know, um, bumps and bruises and ups and downs through the process. 
But um, when you look back on it, you go, wow, you just see, you know, divine appointment, divine, you know, revelation or insight, understanding, you know, the idea on a walk. Um, were there moments? And because I always think this about leaders. My life changed with a relationship. Relationships, you know, I think when God really wants to bless you, he, he connects you to somebody. Was there a relationship during your, you know, um, you're selling the restaurants or maybe the book comes out or the tour or after the tour? What relationship or two absolutely changed your life and inspired you or opened up a whole different world of relationships to you? Who was someone that just like absolutely changed your life? Several. Definitely Erwin McManus, who led me to Christ through his sermons via CD. I didn't even know him. I listened to these sermons. But as I got to know him, that faith journey impacted my life in a, in a huge way. Ken Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager, he taught at Cornell. He's a Cornell graduate. I went to Cornell. He was a legend at Cornell. I wanted to be like Ken Blanchard. So I reached out to him. He wrote the forward to the energy bus. That would change my life. And also the fact that he was a person of faith also in the business world. So he showed me that that that's what a man of faith looks like. And I wanted to be like him. So I would say he had a huge impact. And then Jack Del Rio, the first coach to bring me in to speak to their team was Jack, the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2007. Because of my friend, Mike Ryan, who was the head athletic trainer, gave the book to Mike Smith, who was the defensive coordinator. Mike gave it to Jack. Jack calls me up out of the blue. I get a call from Jack Del Rio. Book had just come out. I go meet with Jack and he says, yeah, I really like the book love for you to come speak to my team. I said, all right, I'll come, but you have to give them all a copy of the book. He's like, okay, you got it. He goes, I don't know if they'll read it, John, but, but you got it. So he gave them all a copy of the book, gave everyone in the organization a copy, and I went and spoke to the team. And after that, I was like, okay, I could do this. I was nervous. I mean, I was fearful. I was terrified. I was intimidated to speak to these professional athletes. What could I say that can make a difference? And I really felt unworthy early on in doing this, like who am I to be sharing this message? Who am I to be speaking? I know a lot of people go through that. Over time, I realize I'm worthy in God, right? Wow. That, that only in him am I worthy to do this, not on my own. But I remember how nervous I was. But afterwards, I was full of life and passion. And then that led me to the Falcons with Mike Smith when he got the head coaching job, which led me to all these different teams that reached Jeez. out. And so that was a huge game changer for me in my life. Jeez. I, lo I love that. And yeah, I feel like, you know, that's most of leadership is that when you first step in, you feel a little underqualified. You feel like, wait, what am I doing? I know for us, like when we started our church, we launched our church here in 2015 in Los Angeles. And I'd been a youth pastor for 15 years, but I hadn't, I hadn't led a church before. And you feel a little bit underqualified in the beginning, like, who am I to, you know, try and lead this organization? But it becomes natural it becomes comfortable. You, you, you kind of get into your grace zone. And I want to encourage every leader out there that, you know, when one of my favorite lines is if God called you to it, he'll see you through it. Mm. That when God's, you know, he's kind of prompting you and nudging you to step into something, write a book, go take a tour. At first it might feel a little uncomfortable, but pretty soon before you know it, you're like, I've got this down. I feel like I feel the wind of heaven at my back. Can you think back to a time in leadership where you step off stage or you finish a book and you go, 
I was born to do that right there. That's what I, I'm this. I'm in my grace doing this. I can't think of like just one time, but there have been moments. Yes. After speaking to a team an organization, you walk away and you just feel so good about the interaction, the way they connected. I just spoke to the UCLA football team and it was via zoom, but we did an interactive exercises. We did breakout rooms within zoom. They came back. We talked about what I shared. I basically talked about grit with them, the elements of grit and the ingredients of grit. They went and then actually had to create their own recipe, came back, we talked about it. It was so special because they were all asking questions and talking and you get done with that and you're like, all right, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to make this kind of impact. When I spoke to the Dodgers a few years ago with Dave Roberts, that experience was just a phenomenal experience. Working with the Rams when Sean McVay was a rookie coach, that first season being with those guys at training camp is a great affirming experience. You know, just recently working with Snapchat and Evan Spiegel, who is the you know, founder of Snapchat and the CEO. And so he, read, he reads The Power of Positive Leadership, reaches out, invites me to speak to his leadership team. So now I'm working with his leadership team. But before I got there, I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? I'm thinking these are really smart people, right? Like right, right, benefit right. cost analysis of negativity and <laughs> all this data that they might want and so forth and research, which I have research on it, but I'm thinking they want all that. And, and Evan goes, John, just help us stay positive. Wow. We got Instagram coming at us. We got the market that's giving us a hard time. This was two years ago, right? When they were getting a hard time from the market, Wall Street was coming after them. Everyone was saying that they were going to be in big trouble. And if you follow them the last two years, they stayed positive. They put their head down. They tuned out the outside noise. They showed up every day creating from the inside out, which is what we talked about. And they had a lot of success. And it was cool because Evan talked about that in a recent business article about how, how that, that changed them from focusing outside in to inside out. Wow. Again, but it's a simple message. Stay positive. So more and more is confirmation that this works yep. and this is meaningful. And even more now than ever, like I'm getting a lot of people reaching out saying, wow, your, your messages are really great during this time. Well, they've been the same messages, but right. I think people are in a place now that they're open to receive them. And someone texted me the other day, said, you were born for a moment like this. I truly believe I was. I believe I went through the dot-com experience of losing my job, of almost losing my house, of almost being bankrupt, of feeling that fear and terror, to be able to connect and relate to people who are going through that now. And I feel for them. But I also know that this is a time that they have to find their faith. And as they do, right, as they find their faith, God will see them through it. It's going to be a challenge. I'm not saying it's not. Your faith in God doesn't make life easier. It makes you stronger. That's right. That's right. I love that. Now, um, you've gotten to be around so many teams. You, you've listed a couple of them uh, and countless more, right? What makes, uh, in your opinion, a great team? And how do you know – when you walk in and you're getting ready to talk to a team, how could, what are some nuances or what, what, are, what are some telltale signs that you go, there's dysfunction here? So there's some settings you walk in and you go, this thing's, this thing's, wow, I'm impressed. This is a great team. Other places you probably walk in and go, yeah, they, they, they need uh, someone like myself right now because I could tell there's, you know, it's fragmented, it's – lack of purpose, lack of unity? What are signs of greatness and what are signs of dysfunction that we could be aware of? Such a great question. You know, working with so many teams, you can tell when you walk in, what kind of team, what kind of culture? Are they dysfunctional? Are they united? Are they connected? Are they positive? 
what kind of culture do they have? And the more you spend time with a great team and you start to see it, you notice when they don't have it. So you can see it and when you don't see it. And it all comes down to leadership. It really does. Like the leader drives the culture. Yes, the team has to buy into it, but you have to have great leadership that reinforces the principles you talk about. I wrote a book, The Power of a Positive Team, and it's the principles and practices that make great teams great. Mm. Well, if you go through these principles and practices, you're going to be a strong team. So the coaches that actually go through the formula, embrace the principles, share them and get the players and team to live them, you see them and you see it play out. For the ones that don't, who just read it or hear about it and don't really live it, don't put into habit and practice, it doesn't happen. So it's all about the leadership. But some characteristics, do they have a shared vision and mission? Are they really bought into the shared vision and mission? Do they stay positive together through adversity and challenges? You know when you hit adversity, whether you run away from each other or you run towards each other. You know what kind of team you have when you do that. Here's the biggest one. Are you connected? Because if you are connected, then you will be committed. And the more connected you are, the more committed you will be. You'll never have commitment without connection. Ooh. So you need to be a connected team to be a committed team. And this is really big. You got to work on your connection. It doesn't happen by accident. You got to be intentional in building the connection. I'm big on team building exercises, vulnerability exercises. My favorite is hero hardship highlight. Who's your hero? Tell us about a hardship you faced that made you who you are today and a highlight in your life. And if I was doing this with a team now, I would say, what do you hope for? I would add an H. What do you hope for? Talk about the future. And so when your team does that, you see the walls of pride and ego and selfishness come crumbling down, paves the way for authenticity, vulnerability, meaningful relationships, strong connections, and you see the team start to come together. Then it's about really committing to each other. Are we serving each other? We before me is a big motto I like to talk about. We before me. I asked a coach, a leader, a school principal, when did your team become a great team? They all said, when we served each other instead of ourselves. And it's principles of Christ. It's the same principles. Are we serving each other? And then are you pursuing excellence? That's huge, right? It's not about just having fun together, but great teams pursue excellence together. And here's the big thing. They have difficult conversations. You have to have difficult conversations in order to grow and get better. The Seattle Seahawks have Tell the Truth Mondays. Every Monday they get together and they tell the truth. Here's what we need to do to get better. This is what you did wrong. And no one takes it personal because they all want to grow and get better. Can you imagine if we did this in our churches more? Like we're afraid to tell the truth. We don't want to hurt feelings. No, we've <laughs> got to tell the truth. You got to practice love and accountability. Love and accountability. I call it love tough instead of tough love. Because you love someone, you will then challenge them and push them to be their best. They have to rise up to the standards of our culture, of our values, of our principles to be great. God calls us to be great. We're not supposed to be average. So we have to work together to be great. And one of my favorite things is Nick Nurse with the Toronto Raptors. Nick's, is a, Nick's a friend, and yep. we were texting a lot during the playoff run. And Nick told me that before the season, he put an elephant on his desk. And whenever a player came in, they were going to talk about the elephant in the room. No secrets, no agendas, no bitterness, right? No animosity. We're going to talk about it right here, the elephant in the room. And in doing that, they had a lot of difficult conversations, that team. Wow. But by doing it, they came together, and that's what made them a championship team. I have seen a lot of teams that don't do that, 
and they fall apart. It's always those little subtleties that happens and the team falls apart. But if you can work through that, keep the team connected, committed, have those difficult conversations forged in the fire of conflict and growth and love and intimacy, we get better. And then one final thing, I'm, I know I'm rambling, but we gotta, oh, we, gotta move, we gotta move from like to love. A lot of teams today, no one wants to rock the boat. They all wanna stay in a like. You gotta move to love where you have the conversations, the intimate conversations that move you to love. Because if you just stay in a like, no one's ever dealing with the hard questions, the difficult conversations, or the challenges that we need to address. So in my team now, ever since writing it, we now say, we've got to have a difficult conversation. Are you ready? It's going to be a difficult conversation. Let's go. And when we talk about it. Great. That's so, I mean, you, you know, you were saying you're rambling. Are you kidding me? That's one of the best things that you've said thus far. I really like that whole last section. I think there's so much truth in what you just said. And as you were saying it, I was thinking, I was with John Maxwell recently, and he was saying the difference between corporate and church is corporate, they are bottom line, they care about results, and church cares about relationships. And I've been thinking about that line of thinking, why are we so relational heavy that we refuse to hold people accountable in the church to results? And we need to have difficult conversations. We need to talk about the elephant in the middle of the room if someone's not performing if someone's not living up to the mission or the values and the principles of the organization, it, it, it makes me think when you consult churches, because again, a lot of the, the audience of this podcast would probably be a lot of church leaders. When you consult churches, what are some things that you see in the church that you go, if I were to be a pastor, if I were leading the church, here's a few things that I think from my travel, from my books, I would really encourage or I would implement right away if I led in the church that I don't see currently. Yeah, I see a lot of good things, but I see a lot of churches that read a lot of business books and they want to be like businesses, but they shouldn't be like a business. Be a church because the relational part is the special part. And more businesses need to have that relational aspect to be great. You have to have connection and relationship to be a strong team. But what John said about the two, I have to say, no, corporate needs to be that way too in order to succeed. Mm -hmm. And as a church, we need to be relational, but we do need to be focused on excellence. I do need to hold you accountable to be great at your job. I need to put you in the right position, the right role, so that you can use your gifts and your strengths to serve the body of Christ, to serve the mission. So, so I think from a leadership perspective, with churches, what I would do is I would make sure that everyone is using their strengths, that everyone is in the right position, that everyone loves what they do. If you don't love it, then don't do it. Yeah. Find something you love to do and don't just be here because you feel like you have to be here. Mm. I meet a lot of people that are in a church, but they're not missional about the church. And so you need to be missional. I meet some companies that have more excitement and passion and mission than some churches. I've, I've been to some great companies that you feel like you're in a church when you're in their meeting. It's unbelievable. Wow. So, so for me, it's about taking the best of both and, and really bringing the love tough standard, bringing the difficult conversation standard and really not accepting a volunteer just because they want to be there, but find someone who could be great and also want to serve at the same point. Andy Stanley said it best. He said, have a ministry, don't hire a ministry. I just love that. 
have a ministry, don't hire. I actually use that in my business. Like, I'm not going to hire someone just because I feel bad for them. They have to be right. good at what they do. I love that. And then, if there's, and then the ministry component is going to be separate, but I have to hire people who are great at what they do. Why? Because we have great people around us. As Pat Riley says, you don't have to yell at someone who wants the same things as you do. And you don't have to get on someone who's great at what they do. And when they're great at what they do, it makes everyone else around them great. And so to build a great team, I have to build a, a team of great, talented, skilled people who are living their vision and mission and love what they do. And if we have that, and they're all, and they're all driven by a greater purpose and vision, we're going to be unstoppable. I love that. Now, now, I love the way that you uh, explain great teams. And I want to pivot now just to the individual. Uh, for leaders, for you, for me, for anyone listening, what are some disciplines I need to have in my life to promote a life that I'm trying to build, to, to take me to a place that I'm not yet there? What are some disciplines I need today that are going to carve out a massive future for my tomorrow? What do I need to be doing daily? What da daily discipline structured life? For me, it's really understanding your purpose. Like, why are you here? We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So what is your purpose? What is your why? You have to know ultimately the essence of, of who you are and why you're here. And you can't build something great if you ultimately don't know why you're here and what you're building. So it starts with purpose and vision. Always starts there. Your why, and then what are we want, wanting to build? It's what I wrote about in The Carpenter. You got to design your masterpiece. And what does that look like? And so often that masterpiece is going to come from God's vision for you. Because God's plan for your life is greater than your plan. His vision is greater than your vision. Great. So God, what do you want me to build? So first off, it's got to be built with God. People often ask me if I have a ghostwriter. I get asked so often, I must not look smart enough to write a book because <laughs> I get asked a lot. But I say, I don't have a ghostwriter. I have a holy ghostwriter. Mm. And so I know that I'm writing the books that God wants me to write and he's speaking through me to write these books. And only through him can I write something. So for me, it's about surrendering to that vision. Who you are determines how you lead. It all goes back to who you are first and foremost. So if you don't develop you and your relationship with God, then you'll never have the foundation to really build something great. Skyscrapers, when you build a skyscraper, you have to go down really deep first, like 20 stories deep, and you have to build that foundation in order to be able to build a skyscraper that could reach new heights. It's the same thing. We have to really go down deep of who we are of our essence. And once you know that and, and feel that, then you can go really and soar really high in your leadership. So to me, it all starts with that first and foremost. Why are you lead? What do you want to build? What do you want to create? And then the discipline every day to show up. Telescope, microscope. Telescope is big picture vision. Microscope, zoom focus actions each day. What do I need to do today to create the picture in the telescope? And we have to have these Zoom focus actions each day in order to create something great. And I think so often we have this dream and we have this vision, but we don't take action on a daily basis. So is, is, are my habits aligned with what I truly want to build? I say I want to do this, but am I doing it? And I think it's as simple as love, serving, care. You know, how can I love? How can I serve? How can I show that you care? I always say don't focus on building your business. Focus on loving, serving, 
and caring, your business will exponentially grow. Great. And also I love, one of my favorite things to talk about is the idea of being a craftsman or a craftswoman in a world of carpenters. You know, carpenters show up just to build something, but a craftsman or a craftswoman is there to create a work of art. And what's the difference? They put their heart, their soul, their spirit, and passion into what they're building. So I read a thing that one person will influence 80,000 people in the course of their life, on average, one person, through the ripple effect. But I always tell people, even if you influence just one person, you are a leader. So we always lead from the inside out. And so as we serve in small ways and we lead from the inside out with loving, serving, caring, what I have found is that eventually, and you know this, over time, God starts to grow your influence. He starts to have you reach more people. As you serve in small ways, he uses you to serve in bigger ways. And that's just what happens over time. But I think sometimes we get so focused on numbers too, like huge reach, reach and numbers, and we equate it with that. But Jesus invested in the 12. He wasn't worried about the size of the crowds. He didn't focus on the big picture in, in terms of like, I want to be this. No, he just served the 12. And he had one energy vampire. <laughs> and, and from a business standpoint, that's what I talk about, the one energy vampire. Right, right, right. And, right. and, and, and then those, the, that 12 minus one would go on to change the world through the power of relationships. He turned the world upside down through the power of relationships. So, so who can you invest into your right and to your left? Who can you invest in, in your life that you can develop? And one thing I've learned is that as you help others grow, as you help others improve, you improve. The greatest self-growth strategy of all is to help others grow. And the more we help others improve, we improve. And that's what happened to me when I finally learned to be a servant leader, starting at home. That's when I actually grew in my leadership. Wow. I love that. That whole, I mean, John, you are so insightful. And again, I've already complimented your voice, but I love listening to you talk and break things down. And the quotes that I, I feel like you give so many great handles uh, that we can grab onto as leaders uh, to improve. Here's the last question, last thought for uh, this episode. It's been so good. I know people are going to absolutely love this. Um, I've been asking this question to people in the midst of this quarantine. Because again, I talk about every week's different. But it feels like right now, every day's a little bit different. What's encouraging you today? Today, uh, as we're recording this, uh, you're sacrificing time. You've been going from Zoom to Zoom. You've been working like crazy. You've been helping UCLA and tons of teams. But you're giving out. And leadership is, a, is that whole thought, I can't give away what I don't have. So what, what, what do you have cooking right now? What do you have as a positive person that you go, this thought has been encouraging me and I'm living off this thought? That's a good question. Stars shine the brightest in the darkness and positive people shine the most through adversity. And so for me, it's just wanting to shine through adversity. It's wanting to shine on others for an audience of one to make an impact on others. Also, a friend of mine is a Navy SEAL. He told me that the guys who don't make it through Hell Week are the ones who are longing for it to end. They're dreaming too far into the future. The ones who make it are just trying to make it to breakfast. And then midday, and then the evening, and breakfast again. So here's been my motto. Win the moment, win the day. If I can win each day, like just win each day, 
the more we win each day, we're going to create an amazing future. So don't worry about the future. Just win today. And wow. that is what's driving me every day. I just want to win today. I want to impact people and let the outcome take care of itself. And, you know, I wrote a book called The Garden. It comes out in June. That's encouraging me because wow. The Garden is all about the battle of good versus evil and the battle for identity. And there are five Ds the enemy uses to attack us. Wow. And those five Ds are doubt, distortion, lies, discouragement. There is distraction and then division, the five Ds, which then leads to the sixth D. And God showed me this in a walk one day, by the way. And the sixth D is defeat in a team, divorce in a marriage, and destruction in a person's soul if we allow these five Ds to play out. But what's encouraging me is I know that through God, right? We know love wins, right? Jesus, what happened in the garden, the separation of man from God, he is the answer to the garden, what happened on the cross, and he reconciles the separation and brings us back to God. And so I see the five Ds playing out right now in our wow. society. This virus, man, you can watch these five Ds play out in a huge way. Distortion, there's so many lies out there. There's a ton of distractions right now. There's a lot of discouragement going on. There's so much doubt. Can God be trusted? Can we trust our government? Can we trust each other? Do you have the virus? Do I have the virus? Do all you have it? There's so much doubt. And, and as a result, there's division. And the word anxious means divided. The word anxious literally means divided. So when we are anxious, we feel separate from God. Think about Adam and Eve hiding in guilt and shame after they ate the fruit because they wouldn't obey God. So powerful when I think of that analogy, right? And so anyway, wrote this and I'm encouraged that I'm going to share this very soon with people because I really believe that this is what they're going to need wow. to become fear, stress, and anxiety. And it's not like my other fables. You know, my other fables are business fables. Like this, I go, I go like all in and I share that Jesus is the answer to wow. these five Ds. And so it's a salvation story in this book of two teenagers who are twins. And um, Mr. Irwin, inspired by Irwin McManus, Mr. Irwin teaches them these lessons on how to win the battle of good versus evil. And in winning the battle, they're able to then create their destiny which is the plan that God has for them. And that's their seventh day destiny. So I'm excited to share that. I'm excited to make a stand on my faith to, um, I'm, uh, I might lose some corporate <laughs> work. We'll see. But you know, what's the coolest thing about this yet. My publisher is a business publisher and they're publishing this book. So you talk about anointing and awesome. appointments. I really believe that God has allowed me to have this success business wise so that I would then, come out with a book like this and make a stand to be able to get a publisher to say, yeah, you're so successful already. Yeah, we'll let you do this. And now this book's going to come out and come impact on. a lot of people. I love that. I cannot wait to read The Garden coming out June. Uh, do you have, what's the exact date? June what? Um, end of June, but in, we're going to do a launch team in, uh, in May. So anyone who joins the launch team, they can just read it, the PDF for free in advance. Cause we want to, we want to just get it out there, help people read it now, even though the book won't be ready till the end of June, because, because of the printers are actually down right now. And in, in many of the States where our printing is done. So we actually we can't even have physical books right now. So we have to wait till the end of June. So I'm going to wow. get that PDF out to people in advance. Wow. Well, I am thrilled for that. It's going to be an incredible book. Um, it, it, it feels like you are in your grace zone 
and um, to see the success that you've had uh, from, you know, the dot-com crash and the, <laughs> those days, of, you know, having a restaurant, you know, make it through that season and to see what you're doing now and to launch this new book, it's exciting to um, – I feel like I'm on your team. I've been on your team. It's the first time we've gotten to really uh, get to know each other. But just so you know, you've got some friends and some, some fans and some family in Los Angeles outside of your daughter that are rooting for you and appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you for being who you are. Chad, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do, your church, and can't wait to visit you all. You know, when, uh, when, I, when I'm out there again, I'm definitely going to be spending more time out there, so I'll come see you. Well, when all this is over, we're hanging. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for hanging today. God bless you, sir. Thanks, Chad. All right, talk to you.